Welcome to the Sober Up Recap. I am your host, Macon, joined with Joe. We are going to be talking about the big win in Waco, the revenge win in Waco from the blowout a year ago, and a critical win in the Big 12 race for Texas Tech to stay relevant. With Kansas State up ahead, this was a must-win game. Just how the season has gone for both teams, this was a must-win game. Texas Tech got it done. 39-14, just controlled this game start to finish. We're going to get into it. This is going to be a true recap. We're going to have grading the game tomorrow for you guys. So we're just going to talk about some of the high-level lessons we learned, what we liked, what maybe we didn't like to see, some of the breakout performances, things of that nature. Now let's get right into it. Joe, we're going to start on the defensive side of the ball. The defense really struggled last week in the first half and then came out firing in the second half, shutting out the Cougars. Kind of picked up right where they left off against the Bears, only surrendering three first-half points, 11 points in the second half, including a long bust on a touchdown late in the game that put a little bit of a scare into everybody just there for a minute, um, giving up a 71-yard TD pass on what I want to say was fourth down. So, But overall, hard to complain about a performance where you only surrender 14 points is this becoming a trend for the defense? Are, are we prepared to say that Texas Tech is just good defensively? Um, me personally, I don't believe so. I mean, I believe, and I've talked about this in plenty of podcasts before, you're just looking to build on, and you need to stack success, stack success, stack success. And this is another one of those um, components to those building blocks of success. I believe it has the makings, and yes, this is probably the you know, with all of the preseason hype around this defense and, you know, our defensive line and us being able to um, pressure the quarterback and, you know, get after the quarterback, stop the run. This was the first actual showing of that defense this year. And it's been great. I mean, it's, it was really, really good. And I don't know what it was, if it was just Baylor, whatever the case may be, I'm not even going to put those what ifs out there. This defensive front did what exactly what you should have expected them to do against Baylor. Now, were we expecting it to be this kind of extent with, you know, what kind of rushing output the Bears had on Saturday? Probably not, especially after what they did last year. But as also, as I said in another in another previous pod, you know, that bulletin board material, I saw the 45 to 17 hung around the weight room and everything. They had that on the broadcast itself. You know, they hadn't forgotten about that game last year in the story. And it just, this was the game that ultimately just came out and proved what this team is capable of. Yeah. We made that, that long touchdown pass. I don't know if rabbit just took the wrong the wrong angle and jump too early. I don't know if it was a, a defensive breakdown, you know, that's neither here or there, but I mean, we're all the, the, all of the, all of the noise that was coming out of the camp was with our defensive front, you know, Bradford Hutchinson, um, Linton, all of those guys, you know, Miles Cole, you know, all of the, all of the preseason hype, so to speak, was around that defensive front and for them all actually to put it all together. And I would say the most complete game for that defensive line was great. I mean, there was a Steve Linton sighting. How, how great was that to see? I mean, as a tech fan in general. So I think they're, they're building on it. Obviously 
with K-State coming in this Saturday, that's going to be another another test. But if, like I said, they continue to set stack success, I could I could see them turning that corner at the right time in the Big 12 slate, you know, to get the ball rolling. It's hard to say that this is a good defense just because, you know, what defines a good college defense is, is really tough to say. But there shouldn't be much doubt, I think, at this point that this is the best Texas Tech defense in 15 years. I mean, the the most points you surrendered all year, the two games, Wyoming, where you had 15 points tacked on in overtime, only allowed 20 in regulation, and Oregon, who, of course, had help from four turnovers, including the pick six, and you still held an Oregon offense that no one has really found a way to slow down at all. You held them largely in check for the vast majority of that game, including critical stops. Like I said, the first half against Houston was the first instance all year anyone had success to move the ball effectively against this defense drive after drive after drive. And then Halftime comes around and the Cougars are completely blanked. Donovan Smith was flustered. This is another example. They picked up right where they left off, gave up three points in the first half. Now, other than Oregon, you have not played a good offense, frankly. I mean, Wyoming's not good offensively. West Virginia is not good offensively. Baylor, Houston. I mean, none, none of these are good offensive football teams. But these are teams that in previous iterations of Texas Tech defensively score 35 without hesitation. And last year is a great example of this because Baylor was not very good last year either. And they punked you at home at night with all the hype and all the momentum. You just got smacked around. So this defense is different, but they're not necessarily doing it, I think, entirely the way we expected, which is, I think, a testament to one to how to Tim DeRuiter's manage the situation and also a testament to a lot of guys playing a lot of roles they weren't really expecting to. Um, Lux has been out there, I think, a lot more than most people expected to see. Roberts is having a great year. Uh, um, Josiah Pierre is having a good season when he's not been banged up. Adire, uh, and then, you know, you obviously have your two guys in the middle, Hutchins and Bradford, who are just phenomenal. But you haven't been getting any production uh, on the edge. And despite that, I mean, the, you're just the, – the, at some point, numbers don't lie for Texas Tech. And I, I mean, beyond the advanced statistics, you just aren't surrendering many points, despite how anemic the offense has been to date. People aren't scoring on you that much. And I understand. I think Tech ranks out somewhere in like the 60s or 80s in, in total defense, um, you know, and, and I, I know the advanced statistics point to a defense that is still struggling, but the. I mean, you just aren't surrendering enough points for me to be like, oh, well, we've got a problem defensively. Or, oh, they're not living up to what we expected. Yeah, I'd love more pressure out of the edge. And it was fantastic to see guys like Steve Lint in particular, who has been under a microscope trying to replace a generational talent and Tyree Wilson finally have his coming out party. And that's the thing. If, those, if he's coming forward and he's suddenly going to be in – an impact player defensively. If the defense is going to be able to consistently generate pressure, you're going to go from being a defense that, you know, the advanced stats don't really like, but you're not really allowing many touchdowns. People are struggling to move the ball that efficiently to a very, very good defense very quickly. There are still issues with communications in the back end, a lot of busts. You are just brutally thin defensively. But, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe it's because I'm used to so bad defense and I have low expectations for this group even knowing what we knew coming in but I I can't find reasons to really be upset with defense defensive effort that should have won you every game this season I mean that that's reality 
other than a couple of drives against West Virginia, you were completely stalwart. Against Baylor, pretty much every drive but one long TD that you busted on, you were stalwart. Oregon, who is maybe the most efficient offense in the country or one of the most efficient offenses in the country led by a quarterback who's trying to win the Heisman. You kept them in check and gave yourself every opportunity to win that game. If you don't turn the ball over four times, I, I'm just, I'm struggling to find a reason to be mad because even the Houston game was your worst effort defensively by far in any way, in any conceivable metric. And like I said, at the, uh, earlier on, you, you didn't surrender a point in the second half. So I'm not saying that this defense is going to, beat the world yet but it, it, it's time to start recognizing definitively that this team's identity is to run the ball and then trust its defense to get stops you can't i don't think you're equipped to run win shootouts not with zach kitley as your offensive coordinator not with the route combinations he likes not with the offensive lines liabilities not with the lack of a true wide receiver one who can break open games you are equipped to run the ball score 30-ish points, and win football games in the back of your defense. And that's a complete change of pace from where you've been um, as a program. So, you know, I again, th this is all in the eye of the beholder because it, I, I, I haven't seen the latest updated stats for Tech Defense, but, you know, obviously uh, the advanced stats don't really like you. Um, for any number of reasons, they don't really like you. I think, the, you know, they Tech has had a, a very quote-unquote bad habit of letting teams drive before punting or, or settle for field goals or stops in the red zone. As a result, you've given up a lot of yardage. Uh, but you're like 53rd in total scoring defense. I think you're something like 60th overall in total team defense. Take the win, guys. We're, we're not going to see much better than that in Lubbock without a lot more talent coming in in a few years as Joey McGuire stacks recruiting classes. This is a huge improvement. It, t just take the win. Don't don't I I we're staring a gift horse in the mouth sometimes with this defense with the lack of the pass rush. But other than that issue, you're doing your job defensively. And that's a credit to Tim DeRuiter, the staff and the entire defense dealing with a lot of adversity. Now, let's talk a bit about the offense. Let's look at the offensive line. Again, Baylor's a bad football team. They might be the worst team you played. Um, I'm not sure Baylor would beat Wyoming. I don't think Baylor will beat West Virginia. I don't think Baylor will be even in the game against uh, against a team of Oregon's caliber. So let's let's look at it this way: offensive line been much maligned this year, justifiably. Had a lot of trouble. You only surrendered one sack in this game. Baron Morton, I thought I saw somewhere had like a ninety percent clean pocket rating, um, eighty eight percent, where he was. Really, really good. Taj Brooks, of course, had a hell of a night, averaging five and a half a carry. Cameron Valdez is a much more limited work, averaged three and a half a carry. You had 186 total passing yards. That's including a loss of a yard on Baron Morton's end. Joe, what did you see from the offensive line? Is this a sign of things to come, or is this maybe just a testament to how bad Baylor is? It could be a little bit of both. I mean, Baylor is, isn't necessarily you know, one of those top end defenses, but I mean, I, I do, and I've spoken on it, you know, the more and more these guys start playing together, I mean, they're going to just naturally start to gel and seeing is how tech kind of has an identity now on the offensive side, running the ball. It kind of seems like they've also embraced that, that identity, you know, getting Taj Brooks. I mean, hell, Taj Brooks top five in the nation in rushing right now. And that's with three games of him or two games of him being pretty much 
you know, a non-factor in games, you know, like an underutilized factor in games. So he's top five in rushing after his recent performance of a buck 70 at Baylor. And like I said, and I think we were down Cole Spencer this game, if I'm not mistaken. And the, the, they still held their own running the ball. He had uh, Baron had a clean pocket. The times he did have the chances to throw the ball. And I think, like I said, it's just a testament. You're just trying to stack success. So the, the more and more these guys start playing along together and you could see it, you know, they're talking, they're, they're communicating. Obviously that's all together. They're not shooting themselves in the foot. I don't believe our offensive line had any penalties on Saturday. You could fact check me on that if you'd like to, whenever you, you come back on, but you know, they, they're a lot of the problems that they were having earlier on in the season. You could start seeing those problems, not becoming a natural problem. And that's because Tech didn't have an identity offensive-wise. We didn't know if we were going to be a pass-heavy and then some run or run-heavy, then some pass or a little bit of RPOs, you know. Who knows, because that was when Shuck was starting quarterback and now that Barron's starting, you know, that that mindset and mentality could all be thrown out the window. So I, I do think it's a little bit of both. Baylor not necessarily being strong on the front seven kind of deal, but I also do believe that this offensive line has taken another step forward in knowing their identity and accepting that identity and taking that challenge on. Pre-snap penalties drive everybody crazy. Um, and the, the offensive line has had a bad habit of making them. So to see a game where you played largely very clean overall um, is, is just good news in general. Um, you know, it, it it's frustrating when you're not playing super well and you're doing some of the stupid stuff. And and I'm not saying you played a completely clean game, but four penalties is a huge step forward. And, you know, I don't believe we saw anything other than maybe a, a, a hold. I don't think we had a false start in this game, um, which I think every other game to date, we've had at least two. So, you know, to, to even see any improvement and that's in that neck of the woods is a huge win. Like you said, it's about stacking success. So you got to continue to do this against Kansas state have to play clean. I, I really like the point you make about those, those uh, procedural offensive line penalties because they're backbreakers for an offense like this. They just absolutely destroy your ability to stay on script. They're backbreaker for any offense. Look what's been happening to Alabama with their offensive line. And you want to tell me that Texas tech is is you know uh has better talent along the offensive line in Alabama right like like they they they're doing it too it it happens in multiple places when an offensive line's out of sort so the first thing you got to do is figure out what's the problem here what's not being communicated between center guard and tackle why are the snap counts getting off what's wrong with the cadence what's wrong with what we're doing and sort that out and it looks like they're trying to work it out next thing you got to do is just play smarter um, and it was a good sign to see that these guys on the road and it's not that hostile of an environment when Baylor's bad, but a tough place to play ordinarily. Um, I didn't see a shot of the crowd, so I never figured out quite what the attendance was like, but you could still get tickets to this game for like 20 bucks, 40 bucks per, per ESPN it, or, and the tech website, it was 44,000 there in attendance, but it didn't seem like it. No, it didn't, and you got to imagine ten of that's tech fans minimum. It was a it was a good showing for Red Raider Nation, by the way. I I was proud of the guys who were able to get out there. I debated going to this game, and if I had been able to do something with the dogs that day instead of just like ailing on them for 
you know, a road trip, a round trip of like 12 hours, um, I would have done that. So I, I, I was impressed by that. The going band was loud and proud as well. I really like when they can go to away games. But point being, you haven't played well on the road in particular under Joey McGuire. So you finally played a clean football game on the road as an offensive line. Protection was good. Run blocking's good. You got to do it now against a better team, better defensive line. That's when we can start to evaluate what you've actually got. And like you said, you're down, you're down a starter. And to do that, I saw the news that we had lost a starting offensive lineman and shuddered because I was just like, Baron Morton's not 100%. Thinks that Kitley said he was only getting about 50% of the first team reps at this point. They're hoping this Saturday's the first game. He'll be 100% a couple of weeks. I hope that's the case because you can't, I think, play man down quarterbacking against Kansas State. To be honest, he looks a lot better as he's gotten more reps, more time, but you'd love to hear that he's getting pretty much every first team rep at this stage. Um, so, but you, the offensive line's going to be a big factor into what you, can you do offensively? Do we have to continue to run Taj Brooks 30 times a game? Is that going to be viable against better defenses? You know, like Taj Brooks is a top tier NFL caliber back and arguably, and I don't even know if it's that much of an argument. He probably is the best back in the big 12, but are you going to be able to run for five and a half, six and a carry every game? You know, there are a lot of times where Brooks is making those things happen without any help from his offensive line against Houston in particular. There were multiple carries where they just didn't block anybody and Brooks still fell forward. So you want to see more of what you saw against Baylor, which was Brooks was running on occasion. There were a couple of plays where Baylor had some penetration and Brooks had to turn, make something out of nothing. But by and large, he was running a lot clean. And that's that's what allows him to really shine is when he isn't constantly having to stutter step and find the little creases. So you just want to see it. I think stack the success is the best way to put it because they've hurt you this year. And you want to see him against Kansas State come out, put two games together where they don't and start looking forward for the season. Because here's the craziest thing about this. As bad as this year is gone, no Big 12 championship team uh, uh, team will be unbeaten. That's my, my that's my prediction. I think OU will lose to somebody they shouldn't. Um, they're the most likely to run the table. But so one Big 12 loss does not disqualify you. And out of fucking nowhere, West Virginia is Big 12 team number three. So, I, I mean, it, it, it's a wild, wild race because of how mediocre the conference is this year. You got plenty of opportunities to make the most of a bad situation. So, you know, you got to you got to make it work. Now, the only thing that can really screw you is bad offensive line play. I think that's what can that can what can bury this offense. Let's switch to another topic, though, and it's a topic that's been coming up more and more often, and that is kind of the lack of production from receivers not really named Miles Price. At this point in the game, you still don't really have a wide receiver one who's really taken it on. Price has played played very well last night. Baylor Cup was your other top uh, pass catcher in this game, which is a little bit alarming, to be honest. But you didn't throw the ball a ton, but 10 receptions for Miles Price. No one else had more than two. And look, we we came into this year expecting guys like Bradley and Fungi and Sparkman, some of these guys to really uh, uh, take over and run with it. Joe, are you concerned about how the receivers are playing? I mean, even with Koi Eakin back, there's still drops. There's still a lot of separation. No deep threat to date. Are, are, are you concerned about what we're seeing? Is it time to say that this group is becoming the problem area in the passing attack? Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's been a, it's, I think it's been a concern um, from early on. And that was with Sheck at quarterback. And that was when Barron took over. 
I believe that, you know, this, this group had, had an identity issue of knowing who they were, you know, a lot of drop passes, a lot of non-separation from the get-go, not really giving your quarterback really much of a look, you know, whenever he actually had time to throw the ball. Um, but I see as since this football team's kind of taking over that rushing identity, you don't need these guys to be, be great all the time, but there is going to be at that time, like you said, where we do run into a, a defense that could stop the run. And then the, the ball is back in Morton's hands and the receivers to move this offense up and down the field, to put points on the board, things like that. And have they done a whole lot of that this year showing other than miles price? And no, not really. And there's been some flashes of great, um, that, that OPI on Bradley, I think you don't, necessarily need to call that i could see why they did but i think that's one you just eat if you're a referee but that's neither here or there he would have had that catch in the open field and you know it would have been great for us they have underperformed though i do like the progress that koikin has been making um he had a great phenomenal year senior year at stevenville then he caught some injury bugs here as soon as he got onto campus and it seems to be that he's fully healthy from that. And, you know, he creates separation and he makes those plays and catches. Miles Price, I don't know if you think this, but I that was the quietest 10 reception night I've seen out of a receiver. When I saw that stat line get popped up on ESPN, I was like, he has 10, 10 receptions? I just, I mean, there was so much more going on in that football game that kind of just, you know, fell through the cracks with me, so... I think there's obviously there's there's lots of room for improvement within this group, um, depending on Barron's health. I did hear Joey say in the press conference this morning or this afternoon that Brady Boyd took some snaps as the third string quarterback behind Strong, and he's potentially going to be redshirted. Koyikin, Fungi, you know. All Bradley, you know, all these guys you were thinking to make some noise. Hell, even Dre McCray for that. He was the guy who was supposed to be that home run threat that we just haven't utilized yet. So I think there's they're still still behind the mark on kind of like the level of expectation that we thought at the beginning of the year. But I do believe that there's, like I said, tons of room to grow. I mean, you could only go up. I don't see them being able to, or I don't see them regressing at this point in time. I just see them grinding it out, grinding it out. And, you know, the more and more successful we are running the ball, the more and more passing lanes open, the the more and more Baron gets healthy with that shoulder, hopefully. You know, that that changes the, the game planning for Kitley potentially or at least that's what the hope would be so they have underperformed on the year collectively as a group tons of room to grow they can get better and they and like i said with that running game being our identity now maybe this kind of pulls that monkey off of their back with them thinking that they're going to have to carry this offense this year i i've been so disappointed by this group just because I, I was so certain that after, you know, last year we had similar issues and, you know, really since as a comma left that you've just not been able to generate a true just guy at receiver. And when you look even past as a comma, there hasn't, I mean, you just, you, you, 
it, it it's tough to to say you know who's even been the second guy out of out of the year receiving group since you know as a comma came into uh you know uh since as a comma has been at tech right like who was it miles price xavier white uh fungi bradley who who's even been the the second closest thing to being a true wide receiver one and i mean i guess it's miles price but like you said I didn't even notice how many receptions he had in this game. And I haven't noticed a lot this season who's been your leading target. And the reason why is just because you've missed so many opportunities for deep balls, shots. Uh, I mean, we don't, the, the, the TV view doesn't give you a great look at what's actually happening with the route running and what's being the results of calls and poor blocking and bad quarterback decisions. But it, I mean, how many times are we sitting there wondering, like, somebody has to be open and the ball's not delivered or it's checked down? Um, you know, uh, B- Baylor Cup had two catches in this game. He had a fantastic touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone. It was a beautiful throw, too, but a fantastic catch. And really, the tight ends have looked like better pass catchers than your receiver a lot of the times, which isn't, you know, the worst thing. There are a lot of great tight ends, and you have two very good ones. But, you know, like, you just, it feels like you can't count on your receivers to go make a play when you really need them to. That isn't to say that, like you said, they flashed it. I think there's been a couple of really tough contested catches. Uh, 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 you know, that in, in this game, there were a couple of routes where those guys really made a play. Um, you know, Miles Price in particular had a couple where he made some some people miss, picked up a couple extra yards after the catch. Um, Koi Eakin had a, that great touchdown catch. But it's not consistent by any stretch. Like in between these good moments, there's like a drop or a slip on a route or a miscommunication or, or he, he doesn't get separation. It's just way too much of not being, you know, able to be, you know, your quarterback doesn't have a favorite target right now. And that's the problem. Because miles price had 10 catches in this game. He's probably going to become the guy. I think he's been your most consistent receiver, but he hasn't been your most like world blowing receiver, mind blowing receiver, just because nobody has been. Like I said, when Ezekama was at Texas tech, can, I mean, he took all the air out of the room, obviously for very good reason. Cause he was fantastic, but it's the same problem then besides him, who else was going to go make a play? And that 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 that's continued this year. We were kind of hoping, okay, somebody's going to step into that role and really take off. It hasn't happened, and I'm not certain it's going to happen this year. So you have to find a way to win this by committee, and that means guys like Koi Eakin have to clean up the drop problem. Miles Price has to continue to, I think, carry most of the workload. Um, Bradley's been the guy I think's been probably the most disappointing. Um, I think he was kind of billed as being your deep threat over the top, and it hasn't come. Dre McCray is. He's just not really getting targets. I don't know what really is going on there, but he's got the speed to go get long. So I expect we see more of him. But overall, this group is obviously disappointed. Um, And I hope that they can continue to get better. And hopefully the tight ends can continue to take some of the load off the table. Um, Now let's talk about the coaching side of this matchup. Zach Kitley has changed pretty dramatically how he's looked at um, using Taj Brooks the last several games. Since the loss to West Virginia um, in particular, it, it's been very noticeable how many carries Brooks is getting. Uh, you know, he had uh, 20 against uh, Houston, though. That, I think he would have gotten more if Cameron Valdez hasn't basically scored every time he touched the ball or broken free for 20. But he had 30 against Baylor, which is the first time I think in his career he's had more than 30 carries. He had 31, in fact. Still averaged 5.5 a carry. It was a career high. He's had four games in a row where he's over uh, 100 yards a carry. 
easiest prop bet of the night was that he'd break 110 in this game. But let's talk about this from a coaching perspective. How has Kitley looked since what was a really bad performance against West Virginia and earlier in the year with Wyoming and Oregon, where the, where the, the offense just seemed to do dumb shit led by his calls, whereas now it seems like we've kind of found a new identity here, which is riding the backs. How, how, what, how would you grade that kind of change in coaching since the West Virginia loss? Well, I see it as one hand in another, you know, because you had Tyler Shuck up until a certain point there at West Virginia. And then, you know, the reins were kind of, you know, given to Barron and we didn't have an identity um, per se, or he wasn't fully committed to the running identity at West Virginia. And we've seen what he's done with the last, the two games since West Virginia. And I think that he's fully embracing it. I would say that, you know, early on, we were probably grading his his coaching and a play calling standpoint, a, a, a D at best, you know. And now I would I would say he's kind of turned turned the page there to, like I said, embracing the run and saying, hey, I got two very, very good backs back there. Our offensive line has accepted this identity as well as a run first. Let's just run the ball until they could t- till they could show us to stop. And I think he's he's at a B now. You know, it's still not great. I mean, there was still some questionable play calling in that game as well um, against Baylor on Saturday. They're just, you know, I believe the um, the Baron Morton interception that was like on a third and one or third and two. It was a third and short, you know. And then you have Taj back there getting five plus. I mean, you could easily have just handed that ball off, continued that drive and not giving the ball back to Baylor in that situation. But it's one of those things. I think that he does have that occasional brain fart or lapse or whatever you want to call it, you know, and it it just, it's a head scratcher, but you know, as I guess a body of work, the last two games, he's fully adapted to that run game and what he has on the, on the front. And then with his backs there, I think he's just going to ride this one out. I, I think he is improving. You see what kind of play calling happens after you're able to establish the run on that first, or I believe it was the second um, cup touchdown when everybody had already pretty much sold out on the run. And then cup just kind of just, you know, goes out there wide open, open in the flat or wide open there on the seam, gets him the ball and just a walk in touchdown. So I think, like I said, the more and more you stack success on the running side of the football, the more and more things are going to open up on the passing side. So I think we're moving in the right direction as long as he sticks with this run plan or this run heavy first and then pass options second, RPOs or whatever you want to call after that. I think he's in the right direction. That's, you know, kind of the tell all of this, this offensive side of the ball right now. So just keep running the ball and keep that grade going up. One of the things about it that I think is interesting is there are still moments where, like, I don't know what the hell he's doing. I think he put it well, where there's there's just, like, really odd, specific moments where you're kind of wondering, like, what, what are we doing here? I think we were talking about it during the game when you had that uh, the, the deep ball shot in a, in a situation where, like, you just absolutely didn't have to do it. Um, and, and to be honest, the, the touchdown 
passes, two of them. I think the one to Koi Eakin and the one to Baylor Cup. I didn't like those calls either. I thought there was a weird time to try to ISO up your receivers like that. And as much as people say, well, you exploit matchups, guys, those routes have like a 50% success rate for a reason. Because unless you just really beat the shit out of somebody, you got to make a fantastic throw and a fantastic adjustment to the ball. But it's hard to be mad about those situations because it worked. So I'm not like trying to blame him for a call that was, uh, you know, turned out to be right. But like, I didn't like those either. And the, some of that stuff's come up. And like I said, Joe and I were talking a bit about the game. Some of the, the, the decisions to win to throw downfield are just a little troubling. So I, I still worry that at a high level, Zach Kittley doesn't have it. And right now it's just really easy to admit, like we have to keep going to Taj Brooks as often as we can. I still don't love all of our run fits, um, but you know, I, I can respect that he's making adjustments to what's being dealt. I do think Joey McGuire and him had a very long conversation after that fuck up in the end of the game against West Virginia, where the, it was laid out for him. Like, if you do that again, you're probably going to be fired. So I think that that's helped, which is Joey's job, right? Like, is to step in and to tell him, like, hey, like, you, you've got to stop doing that crap and start playing with the hand you're actually dealt. So, but it takes a lot for an offensive coordinator to accept that. And it, I've been proud that he's been able to, because it's just, this is your identity. Now you have got to hand the ball off 20 to 25 times a game, minimum to Taj Brooks. You will not win games. If that doesn't work, I that, that's, I'm sorry to say this. If you have a game where that gets stopped, you're going to lose, but you have to do it anyways. You have to do it. Hell or high water. It opens up so much of what you want to do. It makes Morton's life easier. It makes the offensive line's life easier keeps your defense off the field and you know that we'll see what happens going forward but it, it, it at least has been promising to see an offensive coordinator admit like what i was doing isn't working so we have to go do something different that's tough for a lot of these guys to do and it's it's paid great dividends for tech to do this right like your backs getting more touches has led to two wins directly it's led to the offense being able to open up a little bit in terms of your play action game and getting the tight ends more involved Morton hasn't been healthy, so you have not been able to really attack vertically at all. Um, you know, he's short-armed to that that deep ball downfield on that pick. He, I, I, I didn't see where the safety was coming over the top, but I'm pretty sure he had the he had the step needed to get that ball in. He just left it short. So when he's 100%, when he's getting all the first-team reps, you can even start to integrate that with what you're doing on the ground. You know, those play-action shots can start extending more and more downfield as opposed to just looking for busts in the secondary where you can find guys wide open. You can start trying to see where guys get a step and start pushing that vertical passing game again. So it's all good news if this continues to be what we get from Zach Kitley. I want to continue to see it. We've talked about stacking success a lot. I want to see an offensive coordinator who's still understanding whatever you want to do. This is how Texas Tech has to win this year. And as Morton becomes healthier, then you can start integrating some of the concepts you wanted to get back in within reason. You know, if we suddenly go back to where we're all we're trying to do is push the ball downfield on the sideline where we can't get any separation with the quarterback struggling to get it there often, we're going to have some issues. But as long as we, we integrate the vertical passing game, continue to attack the middle of the field, continue to let Taj Brooks eat, you can only get better offensively doing this stuff right now and then leaning on your defense to get stops. So I, I've been I, I've enjoyed that adjustment from Kitley. I hope he continues to build on it and clean up some of the mistakes we continue to see. I mean, nobody's perfect every week. You try to get a little bit better. So it's not the end of the world that he's still making a couple of real head scratchers. You just want to keep seeing him getting better. Just like you want to keep seeing the team getting better. This is a new world. Zach Kittley has never called an offense like this at all. Not even close to anything like this. So doing it for him is still very new. 
we'll see what new wrinkles he can continue to add and layer in to this running game to get guys more involved. You know, maybe find new ways to get Dre McCray the ball out of the backfield or get him isolated in some matchups when you want to go a little bit play action, right? Like there are plenty of teams who've done that stuff. Check somebody speedy in the backfield, get him in man against the linebacker, run a little play action, wheel him out and find an open an easy target. You know, things like that are things we haven't really done yet that we can do in the future as we continue to lean on the fact that Taj Brooks is probably the best back in the Big 12. Now, we're going to come to the last question of the game of the day. Like I said, we're going to have grading the game tomorrow, so this is a little bit of a shorter recap. Just talking about kind of what happened, what we liked and didn't like. Joe, what's your biggest takeaway from this game for Texas Tech going forward? What's what's the lesson learned here that has to continue or you'd like to see get cleaned up heading into Kansas State at home? Stacking success and, you know, being able to embrace success. You know, early on and things, whenever things were going bad, you just accepted that. You're like, well, this is just, I guess, how it's going to go this year. And it seems like they've seemed to write that ship. They're stacking success. They're getting better. There's individual players that are taking leaps every single time they're out on the field, most notably being Ben Roberts, which we could talk about all night and day on how he's played and how he's progressed from being just kind of thrown into the fire to where he's at now to where he's not ever going to relinquish that position in my eyes. And in my opinion, I think he's earned it. And I think he solidified that linebacker group for the future and it's just going to get better. But as far as team wise, I believe DeRuiter's been calling great games. He's been making all the great adjustments, um, pregame snap, all of that stuff. He has the guys there ready to rock and roll. I mean, and they're getting healthier. You know, we're there's we're on the verge of getting Jacob Rodriguez back. Now you're going to have a potential Jacob Rodriguez, Josiah Pierre got trio on the field at any given time or whatever. I mean, that that should give you some chills there, especially with how Ben's been playing. And then you throw a Jacob Rodriguez into that mix, and then you have the the Duda Bankses of the world on that defensive front that came back. That was probably the quiet, the quietest return there ever was, but the most meaningful as far as the defensive game as a whole. He was making plays in the backfield. He was disruptive. Yes, given it was a, a, a weak Baylor front, he did what he was supposed to do whenever he was given his opportunity. And I believe we're just, like I said, going to take um, – those strides to to be better there on the defensive side. And I think we're on there. Stacking success is what we've been about, what we've preached. You just want to be good. You don't have to be great right away. Just keep stacking success and the greatness will come. You just have to work the process and start somewhere. And as long as you're progressing and not regressing, the sky's the limit. You know, to your point, I don't believe there's going to be a team in the Big 12 championship without one loss. Oklahoma has to go to Kansas. Kansas is no joke. I mean, they, they're playing some football. I mean, Texas is already lost, you know. And then you have these slew of teams that are 2-1. and one. So it's still kind of wide open right now. So it's just seizing the opportunity that's given out. Yeah, the the preseason, not so much the, the non-conference didn't go out or start how you wanted the start of conference play didn't start off as you wanted, but it seems like we have the ship in the right direction and we know where we're going. So just keep stacking success, keep progressing, 
And who knows what this football team could do. But I do believe that we're on the right path. We have an identity on the offensive side of the ball. Our defense is, you know, has been steady holding their own and keeping our offense in games and our team in games. So to see them kind of coming up, you know, almost equals for the full game. I mean, I think we're just that much closer to having a 60 minutes of us. Me personally, I think the biggest lesson is what happens when you play clean football. And what happens when you get in your own way, right? Like I, I think we, it was apparent during the game tech controlled this start to finish, but you got to remember it was 17 to three at halftime. It should have been 30 to nothing. And the, the, this never should have even been remotely a game Baylor felt like they should get back into. Why could they? Because you made some mistakes in key moments. And when you didn't make those mistakes, you played as well as anybody in the country. And you were still able to win this game comfortably with those key mistakes because in between those moments, you played really good football. So I think that's my biggest lesson. You got to play clean. You got to play smart. You got to clean up the little things. The bus, the communication bus in the secondary. Uh, the, the the couple of play calls that we want to get back offensively, the Taj Brooks fumble, you know, things like that will swing games. That has what has killed Tech all year. It's not that they, I mean, other than really West Virginia and Wyoming, where the offense was just so pitiful, nobody's, we haven't, the, the, the you know, the defense hasn't played a complete bad game. So, like, it, it's hard to say that, you know, you, you've got these losses on your resume, but you really lost them because of like a couple of really bad moments you wanted back, right? Like the offense were bad in those two games, but it, despite that, if you do like one or two things a little bit better, you win both. So it's just, you just have to keep cleaning up the little things. You have to keep being better on the little things and playing clean football because you're maybe not a top 10 team. I I, I think that's fair to say, but the, the difference between you and everybody else in the Big 12 is going to come down to what do you do in the margins? You know, you beat Houston on the special teams, right? You were special on special teams. Against Baylor, despite those mistakes, where did you beat them? You beat them just by playing sound football defensively and offensively in between those moments. You ran the ball well. You got pressure on the quarterback. You you contained the ground attack. You were able to work in play action. A receivers made a play or two in uh, uh, in key situations. You had the Baylor Cup touchdown, the Troy Eakin touchdown. Both great throws, both great catches. And, and, and that that's all it's going to take for you to be in the Big 12 race is just do the little things well. And then, you know, you may not have a world-breaking wide receiver one. Maybe the, the pass rush never comes along like we were hoping it would. Maybe the, 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 the depth is going to be tested more and more. Maybe the offensive line's never going to take that step forward. All those things can be true, but you're still good enough to win every remaining game on your schedule as long as you do the little things right. Because there's no great team in college football this year. The best team remaining on your schedule is Texas, who looks very beatable as long as you come out and play fast and don't let them just beat you on superior talent late in games, right? Like, how has Texas avoided losses to date? They've done it by just outlasting their opposition and waiting for them to beat themselves and just getting exhausted, right? Like Wyoming imploded. Rice couldn't hang with them. Uh, uh, you know, and OU demonstrated what happens if you just let, if you just can stay around, if you can avoid beating yourself, they are beatable. So, you know, you're going to have a chance to win every game. I don't know if you're going to win every game by any means, but if you do the little things right, every game on your schedule is winnable. And you got to let the chips fall where you may. I'm tired of you beating yourself. You lost three games because you beat yourself in the margins. Turnovers against Oregon. West Virginia was play calling. Wyoming was play calling. 
and a couple of really boneheaded penalties and bad moments. So you just you do the little things right, and suddenly you're you're unbeaten, right? Like that's all it would have taken. Play cleaner games, and you're unbeaten. So let's just continue to do the little things right. Let's build off of this win, clean up the stuff that needs to be cleaned up, and keep just paying attention to the margin. That's where you can win these football games. In a Big 12 race that is shock full of mediocre, what's going to make you good and get you through it is being a little bit better than everybody else in the little things. No procedural penalties. Minimize turnovers. Call the right play for the right situation. Take what the defense gives you. Communicate on the back end. Generate pressure when you can. Uh, listen to your coaching. Take adjustments. Take coaching at halftime. Get Just do those things, and you can win football games. And I, I, I think that I'm not ready to hop back on the bandwagon yet, but the Big 12 is so weak this season. This is a golden opportunity, despite all the bullshit you've gone through, to still finish strong. And that, that's all you can ask for, is just continue to play your football. Don't beat yourself and let the chips fall where they may. Alrighty, folks, we'll be back tomorrow with Grading the Game. I was here with Joe. As always, remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on whatever major platform you listen to. Go ahead and do it for us. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know your thoughts. You think we're wrong. You think we're right. You got something you want us to talk about. Give us a shout. We won't have a mailbag this week. We're splitting up Grading the Game and the recap in order to get two episodes out of that. Give everybody an opportunity to kind of weigh in on that win. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll be back all week with more content. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Wreck them. Enjoy the rest of your week.